So yes, it's Monday, and we're learning Parsha, and it's very interesting doing Parsha on Monday. It's, it's right. No, it's a trial. I'll tell you why. Because on the one hand, like now we really get to live the week with the Parsha, mm-hmm. and on the other hand, it's like it's Monday, and we're still sort of under the shadow of Vayikra. And the last week, we're like, we got to switch already. And the truth is that even like halakhically, it's true that Shabbos has its effect till Tuesday. Right, Wednesday is when we start looking towards the next Shabbos. So we're still really in like the Vayikra part of the week. But we are going to do Tzav. We are moving forward. We are looking forward. Okay. You're wondering, did we do Parsha? I personally didn't. I know. <laughs> you did it, and I only prepared it. And I was like, yeah. Um, so, so I want to... Tzav is... Okay, I want to just say three things. First of all, we're the next... Tav is this week's Torah portion. This up, upcoming Shabbos. This upcoming Shabbos has a special name. What's it called? Shabbos Hagadol. It's called Shabbos Hagadol. Um, so Shabbos Hagadol is still within the regular cycle, so it's going to be Parshat Tzav. The Shabbos after that, we're going to have Chalamoid, we're going to have Pesach reading going on. The Shabbos after that, where Chag is over, it's going to be Shmini, which we're not doing together. And then we're going to be getting together again for learning for Tazriya Mitzayra. So Tzav, the, the, the Tzav, if we wanted to like divide it, it's, it's pretty evenly divided into two parts. The first part, like the first, almost the first three or four aliyahs, are a little bit of repetition of carbonis with some things added. Um, and we did carbonis really fairly well last week, but we are going to touch on a couple of things. And the second half of the Parsha deals with Moshe's... In, um, his induction of the of Aaron and his sons into the into the Kahuna. Now, last week we were talking about how we were speaking on we were meeting. It was on the twenty third day of Adar, and that was when they, Moshe started to do the week of of uh, of like sort of the practice run. And from the first day of Nisan, maybe the first day of Nisan was when they started doing like Aaron and his sons start doing the for real service, and they have a week of. Moshe sort of staying on board and making sure that everything's happening. So the end of our Parsha um, really talks about those, uh, those, the beginning of that week. And Shmini, which we're not going to do together, is actually going to be the first day of Nisan when Aaron and his sons take over. So they're all working together the, the week before. Right? Dress rehearsals are going on with Moshe acting as a Kohen Gadol. So that's happening the first week. So our end of the Parsha is sort of the lead up to next week's Parsha, which is called Shemini, the eighth day, but it's in fact the first day that the Kohanim are going to be having the service. And here's a spoiler because we're not doing it together, so I could do the spoiler for you guys. On the eighth day is when Aaron's two sons are going to die. Right? They bring a foreign carbon to Hashem and they end up dying on that first day, which is eighth to the beginning of the, tri- of the dress rehearsals, but first of the... So the first day of Nisan was a very, very, very eventful day. They started, you know, Nakshan brought his sacrifices and this, and the boys brought their... It was, a, it was like a lot of stuff going so it was, on. It was the first day of their duty, right? Of that they were on duty. Okay. Exactly, where Moshe had stepped away. So 
At the end of this week's Parsha, this, the end, I bring it up because the end of this week's Parsha is where Moshe is showing them how to do it. He's dressing them. He's showing them all the service. Moshe is doing all the service. The, he, the, from the 23rd of Adar to the 1st of Nisan, Moshe is doing all the service and they're watching and learning with him. But then next week, on the 8th day, which is the first day of the month of Nisan, is when Aaron and his sons start to uh, step into it. And I think it's very interesting, and I'm going to just give this thought because this year it works out that, that the Parsha Shemini comes out after Pesach. And Hasidus talks a lot about Nadav and their sin and what they did wrong. And the, the bottom line is, what if, I was, if I'm going to simplify it, it's sort of reaching to God on my terms, not on God's terms. In Hasidic terminology, it's Ratzoi without Shov. It's going to Hashem without being grounded enough to come back. And I think it's so powerful that this is the first Parsha after Pesach, where Pesach, you know, done properly, has us flying out of our seat. You know, we're, we're jumping, we're leaping, we're, we're changing stature, we're like growing exponentially. And then comes Parsha Shemini is like, can you ground that? Can you make that real in a real way? Not just like, oh my gosh, I'm floating off of the ecstasy of Hashem and it's like so awesome. Like, how is that going to become real? And I think like the fact that we have Parsha Shemini, literally, it's, it's so close to at the end of Pesach. It's really a reminder for us, like, let's be real about it. Yes, let's grow in Pesach. Let's jump. Let's be excited. Let's be liberated. But at the same time, we have to have a plan for bringing it back down to earth. Not in the, well, you really should be realistic about your life and that's just so silly. No, I'm not talking about that. But how do we take inspiration and ground it so it doesn't just stay inspiration? Because inspiration is just like, woo, that was awesome. And then the next day it makes no difference to our life. And I think that is really, for me, I'm taking it as like, how are we going into Pesach? Yes, we're going into Pesach ready to leap and jump and all those Pesach things that we've been long talking about all the time, which is why we're not talking about Pesach, right? But at the same time, but at the same time, not one foot on the ground, but one foot on the ground. Like, how do we bring it back down to our reality? How do we make it real? How do we keep it real? And again, not the, you know, cold water realism, but like, how do I integrate it into my life? Because integration is very, very important. And if we just fly off into the, into the clouds, well, that might feel good for us personally, for Nadav and Aviyu. They got what they wanted. They just got consumed by Hashem. But, but how does that actually, is that what Hashem wants? And I think that that's the question we really need to ask. What does Hashem want? And Hashem wants us to ground it. Hashem wants us to take that inspiration and bring it into our lives. And that's a much harder thing to do as hard as it is to be consumed by the flames, it's so much harder to say, I'm going to take that passion and that fire, which we're going to actually talk about in our Parsha, and bring it down into my daily life. That's a much harder thing to do. So that's my first brachatas. Like having an eye to after Pesach as we go in, perhaps that will help us sort of stay focused in, in where we want to head and what we want to do and how we want to make changes that are really awesome, but also very doable you know like we always talk about you know you can't do a diet you have to have a you have to have a food changing regime kind of thing like you can't anything they're gonna do for a short amount of time you do it for a short amount of time then you're gonna just go back to whatever so that's what our Pesach muscles that we want to exercise should be done in a way that 
sort of helps us uh, not only through that week, but also for afterwards how to how to sit with it and how to be how to be uh, you know in a good space with it. Okay, so Parshas Tzav. Let's go into the beginning, um, and we'll, we're gonna, we're not going to move super far, but we're going to. I think we're going to try to look at a few things deeply. Okay, so the first thing that I want to share by Dabra Hashem Moshe Lemar. So one of the the modern Bali Musar talk about the idea. Why does it have to say that Hashem said to Moshe saying? Because you know sometimes in the Chumash it says Hashem says to Moshe, and sometimes it says and Hashem says to Moshe saying, and. And, and one of the, like I said, the, the, the contemporary Bali Musa talk about the idea that sometimes somebody tells us something and we don't have permission to share it. Mm. And sometimes we do have permission to share it. And he was taking a lesson from Hashem is telling Moshe, share this, share this news, put it out on all your social media because everybody needs to know this. And sometimes we just have Moshe and it isn't to share, you know? Um, so that was, I thought, was like a cute kind of relevant situation. My mother always used to say that like, if somebody tells you something, like for example, if somebody lets you know that they're pregnant, that was always the example, you're not allowed to share that information. Like you were entrusted with that. But if you figure it out on your own, <laughs> all bets are off. <laughs> but I think, I think that, I think like part of the, the first part of being like, you know, a trustworthy person is like that we, we hold what people tell us and we don't share it unless we're given permission explicitly to share. Okay, so now we have a very interesting expression, okay? Tzav es Aharon v'espanav. Command Aaron and his sons and tell them, this is the Torah of the Ola. He ha'ola al-mokta al-mizbeach kal ha'layla al-haboker v'eish al-mizbeach tukadvav. Okay, somebody wants to do that in English because I have, you know, make up the English translation. Chana, go. Command Aaron and his son saying, this is the law of the elevation offering. It is the elevation offering on the flame, on the altar, all night until morning. And the fire of the altar should remain a flame on it. Okay, so the first thing that, that everybody wants to highlight is what is this word tzav? That's a very strong language. Tzav is not like, I thought this would be a good idea. Tzav is, you know, we know from the word mitzvah. Tzav is a strong language. Hashem is saying, this is what I want, right? Um, and it's interesting, like a lot of the stuff, a lot of the karbonas that we've had conversation about last week did not have that expression of tzav, and now we're having it again. But what we're having is zos Torah ha'ola. This is the Torah of the ola. And every single carbon that we're going to have is going to be prefaced with the Torah ha'chatas, Torah ha'shalom. It's going to have like... And, and, you know, when we talk about it, it's not that there's multiple Torahs, God forbid, that's not what we're saying, but we're saying, like, all these details are important to Hashem. They're all very, very important, and it's going to be like the whole, each carbon is like the whole thing is going to be, it's as if you do the whole thing. Um, it's, it's, it's sort of like a, a stronger language than just tell them about this. It's like, command is like, and when we learn Hasidus, we know, like, that word sav, it's a hyperlink to, to connect. It's a, it's a hyperlink to connect. It means Hashem's telling us, I know you're wondering about all these details, and I know you're wondering about right hand, left hand, intent, all this kind of stuff. Tzav, it's a way that we're going to connect. This is how we do this connection, and if it's done properly, then we do have the connection, and we do have all the blessings brought down. And if it's not done properly, you know, it's not just like, who cares about the details? 
everything in life, you know, we always say God is in the details, but it's actually true of absolutely everything. If you ever have to take a course of antibiotics, you don't say, you know what, I'm not going to remember over 10 days. I'll just take them all in one day. Right? You just, or, right? <laughs> just or the doctor like gives you instructions. He's like, like, I kind of remembered what he said. Like, it doesn't, the details are important all over and, and how much more so in our relationship to God. It's not just, am I a nice person? Am I a kind person? Am I a giving person? Where are the details? God cares about those details and it's a form of tzav. It's a form of connection between us and Hashem. Isabel, you had a question. What's like the rough translation of tzav? Tzav is the command. Okay. Tzav is the command. In the Aramaic, tzavta means to connect. So that's when we have mitzvah is a commandment, but Hasidists, they always talk about the idea of mitzvah being tzavta, of a, of a way of connecting to Hashem. So that's from the Aramaic. And if you were going to ask me how to spell it, I would say with an olive at the end. But that's vavs and an olive at the end, tzavta. Tzadik, I would say, if I was going to say Tzadik vav that says... Tuf, two vavs probably. Two vavs and a tough and an olive, that's what I would, that's what, that would be my guess. But if anybody who's hearing this recording says I'm wrong, I probably am. <laughs> Okay, so that's, that's one thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, and then, uh, and here, I know I said I'm not going to say the, the Pesach word, but I'm going to say it for a second. Um, it become, if you look at the Pesach, it's, like an, it's an odd phrase. This is the law, this is the Torah of the Ola. This is the Ola that was burned down on this day all night long. What's the repetition? You could, you could like have... You can have smoothed that sentence out if we have any, you know, writers. Like, that's like a little bit of a clumsy sentence. And one of the things that we talk about and the Farshan talk about, it's, it's almost like a hyperlink to the laws of koshering. Right? And that's why I said, I'm not going to talk about Pesach, but it's like a little bit. It's right before Pesach. How do we kosher anything? How, what is the process of koshering an item? What's the first question we have to ask ourselves? When we want to make an item kosher, what's the first question we have to ask ourselves? How this item became not kosher. How is it used? How is it normally used? If we have a pot that's normally used with a water-based something, right? So how do we kosher it? With boiling water. What about if we have a frying pan that has direct heat? Well, we don't just put it to boiling water. You need to use fire. So here, this Ola Ola is telling us however we lost the connection to Hashem, is how we're going to regain the connection to Hashem. And one of the things that we spoke about last week about the Ola, we, we actually spoke about the Ola specifically, was that the Ola is something that is totally consumed by the altar. All the parts of the Ola are consumed. Obviously, not the skin and not, you know, not the, the innards, but um, all, the whole thing is burnt, up, is, is burnt up. And the question that we want to ask ourselves is, what consumes us? What consumes us? Is it God or is it fill in the blank? You know, we all have enough of an imagination that we could fill in the blanks. You don't need me to fill in the blanks for you. What consumes us that isn't God, right? And if we want to redirect, then we're going to have to take that same passion and fire. It's not to say, I am consumed by whatever, but God will be like my side pastime. Like, you got to figure out a way to sort of transfer it back. Into the into the uh, from from where it got misdirected to have it back to Hashem, and um, and one of the things, and I, of course I printed it and I forgot to bring it in. Um, the end of the pasuk it talks about the, this ola being burning on the on the altar all night long. The eish hamizbeach tukad bo 
and the fire of the Mizbeach should burn in it, okay? And the fire burning on the Mizbeach, so first of all, the, the, the translation is that the fire needs to burn on the Mizbeach, right? It has to burn the whole night. And it's interesting, we're going to talk about the next Pasuk, we're going to talk about another service Hashem. That's all we have on the Ola, this one liner. But, but, um, but, but uh, the Mepharshim talk about, where is this fire burning? Tukat Bo burning in him. And a lot of Mepharshim say it has to burn in the Kohen. There has to be passion going in the Kohen. Yes, the practical, the first shot is you got to have fire on the Mizbeach. You got to have fire on the Mizbeach because that's where the, the Ola is going to burn up. But the Mepharshim talk about the idea that Tukat Bo has to burn inside the Kohen because within where, again, that same idea, where is your passion? Where is your fire? The Kohen, and in our situation, because we don't have, a, we currently don't have a temple, that means we get to be the Kohen in our own homes and in our own lives. And to say, where am, where am I taking an animal slash animal-like behavior? And I am saying, this one I'm going to give totally to Hashem. And I'm going to burn it up for Hashem. Then we have to be able to two cut, but we have to have that fire burning in us. We can't just say like, eh, whatever. It's like the the Kohen has to be passionate about what he's doing. Rashi actually says that uh, that we use the expression tzav because the, there's um, there's a loss of money because the ola gets all burnt up, and they're nervous about that you're not going to be so like the Kohen maybe will not be so. Is there a word alacritous? I mean, alacrity is a word, but I'm not sure if alacritous is, but. Like, that he's not going to be so quick to bring the sacrifice because he has basically no financial gain from it. And then somebody's like, what? That's what you think about the Kohen? That's what you're talking about the Kohen? And, and other, you know, other people talk about it. No, he's concerned about if he has the wrong intention and this carbon is not valid, then the person loses out on so much money because it's an expensive animal, da 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 um, and I think, and, I, and this is my, my take, so you clearly don't have to buy my, you don't have to buy my challenge. But um, I think it's really a message to us as well. Meaning, if we're talking about a situation where we currently are the Kohen in our lives, then there are times when external forces are going to cause us to hiccup and not step into what it is that we want to really be doing. And sometimes it's going to be a financial thing, and sometimes it's going to be an opinion thing, and sometimes it's going to be all different kind of other things. And Rashi's saying... He's highlight, Rosh is highlighting this idea of tzav and saying we should be able to push past those things, push those external, uh, like I'm sort of extrapolating from Rashi, right? Rashi's like that they would be concerned about the money that we sometimes are going to be concerned by things that if we were to think about it a little bit more deeply, we, we're really not so concerned. We really aren't or we shouldn't be so concerned about them. So, so that's kind of Rashi's, uh, my take of what Rashi's saying that you know, like a bracha to us that as we we move forward, that we not be hiccuped by the things that maybe make us pause. Um, okay, so that's the first thing that we have over here. The next thing that we have over here is a very interesting law. Every single morning. Okay, so I want to say one thing before I move on forward. The first sacrifice and the last of every day and the last sacrifice of every day, the first and the last sacrifice of every single day was the carbon tumid. It was a daily offering that was offered on behalf of the Jewish people. It was the first sacrifice that was brought 
first thing in the morning. It was the last thing that was brought, last thing at night. You know, you know, like if you ever go on a trip and you like nobody move in front of that person or go fall behind that person. So the carbon tamid was the sandwich on both sides, and all the other sacrifices were brought between those two. Both of those carbonas, first of all, were brought on behalf of the Jewish people, and both of those were Ola sacrifices. Okay? Um, and this and so that's why the first thing we're hearing is that this last Ola sacrifice has to burn all night long on the on the altar. Now, the altar has to have, A, enough fire to keep burning. Um, and also, remember, eat, just because it's the last, depending on the time of year, there were lots of more or less sacrifices that were also burning. Um, just an interesting factoid that in the Beis HaMikdash, in the temple, not in the tabernacle, in the Beis HaMikdash, the, the Mizbeach, where they brought sacrifices, we spoke about it briefly when we spoke about the, when we spoke about the Mishkan, was 32 amas by 32 amas. It was a massive square. 32 amas, we said, was like, an amas like maybe 18 inches. It was a massive, massive, somebody whose math is better than mine, that's how big it was. Almost, uh, would that make it like maybe 50 feet? If, a, if an ama is 18 inches and you have 32 amas in each direction? It was huge. It was huge, it was huge. Okay, right. Good answer, Shula, it was huge. And there was more than one what's called the Mairacha, there was more than one um, place to burn, to burn Karbanis. So there was the main one in the middle, and then there was, there's a discussion in the Gemara, were there two other ones on the sides, were there three other ones on the side, um, because there was a lot of stuff going on there. Now the next Pasuk is going to tell us there's another Avaida that has to happen in the morning. So we're saying we light the, we have the oil going all night long. What happens in the morning? There is an Avaida that means the Kayin, the Kayin not the Kayin, has to put on the white I'm highlighting this. The white big day kahuna. He takes a golden shovel up the ramp to the Mizbeach and takes some ash from the center fire in his white clothes, just pointing out. Um, and he's going to take it down. He's going to make sure any, any parts that are still have to be burnt will get put back into the fire. He's going to take ash from the center and he's going to bring it down the ramp, and there's a space next to the side of the Mizbeach where he would put it, he would just pour it over there, and it just sort of like would sink into the earth. So part of the ash of the Mizbeach always stayed next to the Mizbeach. I don't know what that means existentially, i got to say. I'm, on, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what it means, but that's like an Avaida. The other thing, which is an interesting part of the Avaida, was that they always kept the center... I guess bonfire, for lack of a better word, um, it was the ash was always like pretty. They made it pretty, and they used to sort of shape it. And the Gemara talks about the idea that they used to make it like an apple shape. Now I don't know how you keep ash in an apple shape, and every so often it would get to be so much that they had to actually take the ash off, and then we take it not to the side of the mizbeach. They would take it out of the base and make this to a holy place where they would keep the ash because it was holy. They can't now use it as, I don't know what people use ash for, fertilizer, right? right? I don't know if you can't use it for fertilizer, you can't, whatever. You can't do anything with it. It's holy. So there was a holy place that they would, they would do it. But to take, the, to, take of, to take that off, that was not, you would wear, the coin would wear regular clothes. But that daily bit of taking a golden scoop of ash and keeping it next to the Mizbeach, that was actually an avoider that they did in their white clothing. Um, Again, like I said, I don't know what it means. And, it, and in, the, in the height of services, like we're coming up to Pesach, right? So when 
very often what would happen around the Chagim was that everybody who had promised to bring a carbon would bring it when they were going to the base of Mikdash anyway. Like today we have roads, we don't think about like how hard it would have been for somebody to get to the base of Mikdash with animals or to buy, like whatever, right? So there were a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of sacrifices being offered around Chagim times. So they had multiple fires where they were burning the stuff all the time. It, it must have been wild. Can I ask a question? For sure. I, correct me if, if I'm mistaken, I remember learning that Marib is establishing memory of Kohanim cleaning Mastea. No, Marib is for the, everything that's burning overnight. Uh, that's why Marib doesn't have a real time. Because Marib is established, right, we t- all the prayers are connected to Karbanis, so the first Shachrus and Mincha are the two carbon, carbon, carbon the first biker, biker shal tamid, and the biker shal ben arbayim. That's Shachrus and Mincha, and Mayariv, which is less of a specific time, is for everything that stays burning on the mizbeach overnight. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do they have like cleaning time? Because do they have like cleaning time for mizbeach, like to make it like clean and pretty? They, 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 they were always. I think I, I don't know. Meaning, you have the morning. There's definitely some kind of organization going on before the first sacrifices are going to be brought. There's there's a whole seder of what was going on that they would take the ash off before the first carbon tamil was brought, and part and then other kohanim would come up and. You know, shape it and make sure everything was working and clean, like, and, and anything that fell off was put back onto the vest. Like, there was some kind of, but over the course of the day, and especially over the Chagim time, it must have been hectic. Not a madhouse, because it's the house of God, so it can't be a madhouse, but like, it should have been, it would have been very, very hectic, I think. And it's just an interesting, the, the Gemara talks about um, how they brought the pace of sacrifice. Did you ever hear about this? Okay, I, I know we didn't say we're not going to pay up, but this is what we're talking about. Because I, wrote, I, raised, I, I raised this question with Tehillah, we don't have an answer. So if anybody has a better answer. So the times of the Basin Dush, normally when you bring, every time you have a, a holiday, you have a week to bring the sacrifices they have to bring. But carbon Pesach is different. Everybody has to bring the carbon Pesach in a little window of time. Basically from when you get rid of all your chametz till nightfall. So the way it worked in the Basin Dush was... First of all, they used to do it in three groups. Like, they ever, I don't know how they divided, but like every family would send one representative with their animal to the, and they would come into the, into the Beis HaMikdash and the, the Levian would be singing Shira. In general, uh, Kohanim had shifts. They had a week here and there. For Pesach, everybody, every single Kohen who was eligible would come to do, to come to the service. And the, the Gemara describes how there were lines of Kohanim and they were passing things. Blood was going in one direction. Things were going back and forth. It was like, it was like a like, a, um, new what's it called? Assembly line. Like an assembly line, but like mass in both directions, going about lines and lines of Kohanim. And they would do that in three groups so that all of Bnei Yisrael would have their carbon brought in the right amount of time. And the Levim are sitting there singing Hallel, and they would sing Hallel in as many in as many rounds as it would take to finish the whole. It's called a kita, the class. As, as many people as would be needed to finish the class of Brie. And I'm like, how is this going to work today? We clearly have so many more people. How is this going to work today? Like, we're not going to fit in three shifts. Like, I'm like stressing about this. Now, I know this is not my job to stress about, but I just want to put out there that I'm stressing about how this is going to work. You know, I told you, I was speaking to Tila, she said she thinks there's going to be layers of the Mesa Mikdash. And there's going to be not only three kitot, but different layers. You know, you're on... 
you don't go to Tachlerik Zeta and you go like the buses are leaving from that floor to that floor. I'm like, okay, take your, take your shit. It's going to be chaotic. I don't know how it's going to work, but it's going to be fun to see. So we'll see. So that's, I'm just saying like the image and they talked about how it was, everybody was doing their jobs so fast and so proficiently. Like they had to actually practice working together to make sure that everybody's carbon went like, Whatever had to go to the Mizbeach went to the Mizbeach. Whatever had to go back to the person went back to the person. Like, this is like a massive assembly line situation going on. I, I yeah. It's going to be cool to see again. I mean, we're not going to be inside seeing because only one person per family is going to go take, whatever. We'll get a review. Maybe it'll be closed circuit TV. Can you do that in jobs? I don't know. Anyway, I, but I digress. But I digress. Okay. They could take phones with them and like make recording. A yantif. Uh, oh, no, it's not Yantif. Yet. It is Yantif. Um, it's before. No, correct. no, it's no. going to be. Does it, do, did Yantif start? That's the question. From when they shech. No, Yantif's going to start at night. So maybe the first couple of rounds we'll have closed circuit TV. Yeah. Okay, we'll have big screens outside. There's my family. You go pick out your sheep. I was like, there's my husband. Or there's our representative. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so um, okay, so they picked up the the deshna took this this ash. They took it to the side. I, I don't. I was once looking into like what does it mean? Like what is the meaning of keeping some of the ash next to this back? But I don't. What does it say? Okay, good. Um, oh, good. Somebody with English. Uh, that by taking a portion from yesterday's service of ash and placing it at the side of the altar before beginning today's service, the Kohen symbolizes a national declaration that today we will continue to serve Hashem as we did yesterday, according to the dictates of His will. Very nice. Okay, thank you for checking. Um, I, I I'm gonna add because that's, it's so hard to do the same thing every single day with fire. You know, and if that's really what, that's what Rav Hirsch is saying, like, we're going to, we're connecting it to yesterday, but it's not just copy, paste, copy, paste. It's going to be like the way Hashem commanded it. If, if, if we were to tie it back to the beginning of Tzav, of Hashem saying, I really want to connect with you with this, then, oh, wow, that would be something very special. So thank you for sharing that, Hannah. I appreciate that. Okay. Um, and in uh, uh, Perak Vav, Chapter 6, verse 6, it tells us, There should be a fire um, all the time on the Mizbeach. You're not allowed to extinguish it. Extinguish it. Okay? Um, so, if you look at Rashi for a second, he says an interesting thing. First of all, this, the fire that we're talking about here is the outside where they brought the carbonus. You have to have that fire uh, all the time, okay? Um, and it's interesting, we're going to talk about it in a second, but before we get to Rashi, uh, the outside Mizbeach, if you, lo- if you look at Pirkei it talks about the, the miracles that happened in the Beis HaMikdash, it was in fact, there was like a heavenly fire that lit it, but we had a mitzvah to light the fire every single day, to make sure that the fire did not go out. So that on the one hand, there's this place of that Mizbeach symbolized our Aveda, our moving towards Hashem. And at the same time, there was definitely going to be a heavenly fire. The, the, and the miracles that they talk about in the Beis HaMikdash, they talk about that there was, that the smoke above the Mizbeach was in the shape of a lion. 
like a crouching lion, like and that the wind and nothing, you know, nothing would shake it. Like that's clearly a Hashem kind of thing. Like we didn't, we didn't Steven Spielberg it, you know. But but so that and what's very interesting is that the fire that they took to light the inside mizbeach, the gold mizbeach that they had the katoyris, they took that fire and the menorah, they took that fire from the outside mizbeach. And if we talk about the idea of the inside mizbeach and the outside mizbeach, it's very clear where's the inside and where's the outside. The inside mizbeach is the stuff that are more personal, more spiritual, the things that are internal. And the external fire, the external mizbeach is the stuff that we do outside. And isn't it interesting that what fuels our inner connection to Hashem are external behavior? And with the way they, right? They had to take the fire from the outside mizbeach to bring it inside to light the mizbeach hakatayers and to light the menorah. They took the fire from there to tell us it's not just meaningless behavior on the outside. It has such a deep effect on who we are and what we are and where we go and what we do. You can't compare that to to anything and and to really understand like in the in the you know. The infinity sign is like an eight, right? What leads to what, right? So in, in Hasidic, we talk about us doing and Hashem reciprocating, Hashem reciprocating, Hashem doing and we reciprocating. It's like a, what's it called? A rumbus strip? Does anybody? There's like that. So I'll check. Like the, there's, there's a, like a way to tie, whatever. I'll look yeah, 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 yeah. I might be right, but I might be wrong. I don't but, but it really is going together that on the one hand, we're doing our part and the other part, that's making Hashem react to us and Hashem leading us makes us react to him. And all of that is really going on all the time. It's not like, oh, this is the only way to do it. Both of those things are sort of happening at the same time and that's going to happen all, the, you know, that's going to go together. So that's what Rashi talks about, that you, that you take the, the fire from the outside to light the, to light the candles, Okay. Um, and, and here he talks about that, and, uh, and, and the Rashi, and Rashi also says that you're not allowed to put out the fire, that whoever, um, extinguishes the, the fire on the Mizbeach is, uh, is, um, transgresses, transgresses to negative prohibitions. That's Rashi's point. The, in the Hayoyim Yoyim, it talks about the idea that, Eish Tamid Tukar al-Mizbeach loisichbeh, and I printed it down, of course, I forgot to bring it, so I don't, I think the, I'll tell you, I heard it from the Magid, I don't remember, I'll have to check it afterwards, that he, and he says that, when we have a fire burning on our mizbeach, on our heart all the time, the negative gets extinguished. Put the comma someplace else. The no gets extinguished. How do we fight forces in there, in the Hayyamim, it talks about, uh, for, I think about the forces who, like, uh, who are opposing Hasidus, but, but the Rebbe spoke about it like, also like, where do we get the power to fight? I don't want to do this. I don't want to do, right? The nose, the, the, the I don't want to do it comes from when we have passion. When we have a fire burning in our Mizbeach, then the low, I don't want to do it, or the negative things that I want to do, all that thing gets extinguished. And what's interesting, Rashi brings a little bit, but the, in the Gemara it brings even further, 
when you talk about you're not allowed to put out the Mizbeach, you're not allowed to put out the fire in the Mizbeach, it says, Af Bishabis, Af Betuma, that's where Rashi brings, that even if everybody's tummy, you're not allowed to put out the fire, even on Shabbos, you're not allowed to let the fire go out. And we know that one of the Malachas on Shabbos is causing a fire to burn. So that is, you know, in the base of Mikdash, if, if you saw the, if that the fire was going low, you would add. And the Gemara says also, Af Masois, even when the people traveled in the desert, and the Gemara describes that they had a bowl of the fire somehow covered, they kept the fire burning as they traveled in the desert. Which seems like, why? <laughs> I mean, you said, whoa, that was probably the better reaction. I would, I, right? So I want to say a couple of things about this. I want, to, I want to see if this makes sense. First of all, the practical application of uh, having, making sure the fire is burning on Shabbos is one of the reminders that a lot of the laws of Shabbos we have, all the laws are things that were done in the base HaMikdash we're not allowed to do in our house. But in the base HaMikdash and in the Mishkan, they actually did a lot of those services. There was a lot of cooking and fire. All that stuff was done in the base HaMikdash. But when we talk about Shabbos, Shabbos is like when we're in a good spiritual headspace. So when we talk about, am I enthusiastic? Do I have a fire burning? You know, when I'm in a good spiritual headspace, that's almost, I don't say it's a no-brainer, but like, it's hard, but it sort of makes more sense. We get it like, everything's knocking, everything, it's like a Shabbos space for us, we're on fire. What happens when we're in a bituma? What if we're not in such a great place? What if we're in a place where we feel disconnected? And when we talk about tuma, it, the first translation we always say is inaccessible to holiness, but more than that, it's like that disconnect it's not just inaccessible to holiness, but it's that disconnect, different levels of dis, dif, different levels of disconnect from Hashem. And the question is, how do we keep a fire burning then? How do we keep a fire burning when, you know, it's hard, the weather is lousy, I'm just feeling blah, I'm not feeling connected. Even in that space, we have a mitzvah to keep the fire burning. And how we are going to do it is going to be a conversation for each person individually. I don't, you know, there's not any one, unfortunately, there's not any one size fits all answer over here. Um, but that's, but that's, uh, that's the second thing. And the other part of the masa'ot, of the travels, so it's an interesting thing that when the people traveled and they were carrying all the vessels, one person was actually carrying the fire. But again, one of the, one of the, uh, the, the like more modern commentators was talking about the idea of, you know, when we travel, practically speaking, we're going on break now. This is our last class together. Can we keep a fire burning when we're not in, a, not in our optimal zone? You know, how do we do it? And I was like, oh my gosh, that is, yes, so important. What, is, what are going to be our, what's going to be our, our mechanism for making sure that we're, our fire is still burning, you know? You know, in the place of we did, you know, we have a great routine. We have a Shabbos routine going for us on a regular basis. Okay, now we're going to be traveling. We're going to be out of this, out of that space. And how do we? And I think that the first way to make sure that the fire burns is when we realize it's going to be an issue. The first thing we need to understand is like, a, it's going to take a different, a different kind of effort. Not more, not less, but it's a different kind of effort to keep the fire burning when you're on a travel space. And also, I think, 
when we realize that it isn't going to come automatically, we'll say, okay, what do I need to do to make sure that it's st- that I stay connected? And we're not looking for that same blaze. We're looking to make sure that the fire does not go out, that we don't have to come back and start from Ephesus. You know, if anybody's ever gone camping overnight, not me because it's just not my thing, but I feel like there are people here who could do that. You don't ever really want the campfire to go out. You want to keep feeding it stuff. Even if it's little twigs, even if it's not the optimal stuff, just keep the fire going because to have to start it from Ephes is so hard. So I want to give us all a bracha. Like I said, this is our last class together till after Pesach. And uh, we all have to, I want to give us a bracha that we take the space to think about what we need to keep the fire burning. Each and every one of us has different things, different places that we're going, different challenges that we're going to face, or maybe different opportunities that we're going to face. And what are we going to, what is, what is practical and real? And like I said at the beginning, we want to, you know, we don't, we want Pesach to be liberating and all this kind of jump, but how are we keeping our feet on the ground? Not in a Debbie Downer way, but in a practical way. What can I really do? And what are the steps that I can really set up for myself so that I keep my fire burning all the way through? And this week is Shabbos Hagadol, the Shabbos is Shabbos Hagadol. And it's actually the same setup like it was when the Jews left Egypt. It's the 10th, it's the this Shabbos is going to be the 10th of Nisan. And that was when the Jewish people on Shabbos took the animal. They were told in Rosh Chodesh, they took the animal and they tied it to their beds on the 10th of Nisan, which was a Shabbos, which is why all their neighbors noticed, besides that they were taking their God, but they also noticed that it's Shabbos. And why are you handling animals on Shabbos? Because you really don't do that so much. And, and, uh, and the amount of bravery that it took for the Jewish people to do that, I want to give us a bracha for that bravery, to know what it is that we want, to know to, that we should have that clarity for what Hashem wants of us now, and to just be brave enough and to say, I can do this. I can... I can step into this uncomfortable space. I can step into this uncomfortable, con- uncomfortable conversation. I can step into this whatever it is. If that's what Hashem needs me to be doing right now, I'm going to be brave, and that's going to be my first step to liberation because when we find our brave, that's, that's, that's when we can jump. As long as, you know, I, I true confessions, I don't know how to dive. My mother taught me, tried to teach me for many years how to dive. And it's always been too scary for me to let go and go head first. I, I, I can't. I can't. But I, I know for different things that I am able to do that we can only make a leap when we find the brave to do it. So I want to give us all a bracha that we find our brave and that we jump into the space that we want to over Pesach and we do it in a way that's healthy and focused so that when Pesach is over, we are able to land with our feet firmly on the ground in a new space, in an elevated space, in a place that's beautiful and growing and holy and meaningful. Have a liberated and a liberating Pesach and an amazing rest of the day and an amazing rest of the week.